Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this, the first ever uh, Newcastle Natter in the post-Mike Ashley era. The first Newcastle Natter ever recorded with Mike Ashley not in charge of Newcastle United Football Club. God. Yes. The whole history of the Newcastle Natter, which I have been at since pretty much, maybe I think I joined in like the third episode or something. That whole period has basically covered the Mike Ashley era, but that is now over. Uh, but I am joined, I'm delighted to say, by, to, to mark this momentous occasion, Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hello. So um, there's obviously a lot to talk about, so much so that I, I propose that we don't say anything about the world's game. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> every Newcastle Natter usually includes us talking about the previous game. That now feels completely irrelevant and not worth talking about. There is one thing I wanted to mention very quickly: is the Go last on. goal. The last goal of the Mike Ashley era was a forty-yarder into an empty net by Jeff Hendrick, and I think that sums <laughs> up the Mike Ashley era quite nicely. Well, I think it's a shit player. Yeah, sure. Scoring. I would say it puts a, a favourable varnish <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on it. But um, uh, we were having a WhatsApp conversation a few days ago, right? I believe this was last weekend. And I'm going to read some of that WhatsApp conversation now. And I think that should give an indication of where we were as fans a few days ago. Um, Day Watson. It's shite and it's not going to change. Bruce is fucking terrible, but he won't be sacked until we're in imminent danger of going down and he won't quit. No takeover. It's shite and boring. Genuinely don't care about this season. If we go down, who cares, really? If we stay up, it's more of the same. Um, Yeah, and then there's uh, a bit more from you. Don't care what you say. It's worse now than any other stage under Ashley. Early on, I was naive enough to have hope. 
Now we have a middling squad with a couple of good players, but the team are playing less than the sum of their parts. Then Paul Doolan joins in a few messages later, missed most of the game, meh. I said a few messages later, I agree it's the worst it's ever been. Not the worst team or performances, in my opinion, could be wrong. Just the worst because of the cumulative cumulative damage of 14 years. So it seems like at that stage, we were three men who, in terms of our feelings on Newcastle United, had hit rock bottom. Now, yeah. we're going to talk about Mike Ashley. Then we're going to talk about our new owners. And there's obviously a lot to talk about there and what different people feel about it. And then we'll talk about what the future might be for Newcastle United. But first, I think we should just sort of mark the occasion that this is the end of what has been a really horrible period for Newcastle United. Right, Dave? Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because for us, we were old enough to remember the Keegan and Robson eras in, in some clarity. But imagine this like seven-year-old lad who wakes up one morning and sees that a retail billionaire has bought the club and uh, he's going to pump in loads of money and and he's going to bring in Kevin Keegan and it's going to be amazing. And then for 14 years, he's had unmitigated shit with a few ups, but mostly negative. So for like the 14 years, this now 21-year-old man has only seen the Mike Ashley era and how depressing and negative it is. For us, we can look back on the, the the halcyon days of not winning anything but playing good football and having hope and ambition. Ashley has completely sucked and drained the the joy that I remember from those times out of the club. There's there's the few high marks like the the season that we finished fifth or like. I don't know, like periods under under um, Hutton maybe or under Benitez where we felt good about the club. The majority of it has been fucking depressing. So a lot of um, fans of other clubs who sort of don't follow us intently might say that, you know, in the last couple of seasons under Bruce, we finished 13th and 14th in the whole of the Mike Ashley era. The worst we've ever done is be the 21st worst club in football, we went down twice and 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 went straight back up. But Paul, there's there's like a lot more to it than that, right? Yeah, I think in that whole period, the the one difference between your kind of yo-yo clubs or even like Stoke, we've not been really a sporting concern as a team. We've our sole aim has been staying in the Premier League, and the only time kind of all hands have been to the pump and we've invested majorly is when Premier League status has looked in danger or has been lost. And like, as a fan of a football club, if you're not a sporting concern, if you're not even trying to compete in the sport, that just drains away at you every season. I think if we, hadn't last... had... Sorry, if we hadn't had that season where we finished fifth, I think we'd all have given up a lot sooner. That was the only sort of bright spot of the Ashley period. And for the last five years, again, it's it's not just about performances, right? It's it's like in the last five years, Ashley basically gave up on trying to uh, 
appease the fans in any way. Mm. I think every decision, came, got, it, every it, decision it, where you've thought, what would be the best thing to do for a football club in this position that wouldn't even be financially ruinous? No one's been saying like he should have been chucking money around, but there's always been clear points where you think this is obviously the the easiest thing to do if you're trying to run a football club to compete as a football club. And we've just not bothered. We've not invested in any of the infrastructure of the club. We've sold any assets as soon as they've become sellable. These assets stripped the club itself, sold land around the ground. There's not been any good footballing decisions. I think when we come on to talk about the owners, there's a reason why Newcastle fans above most others have been so receptive receptious isn't a word but i'm going to go with it receptive anyway. receptive to receptive. any not kind an uncommon of... word paul <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> professional <laughs> writer paul doolan <laughs> i make up my own words but to any kind of takeover is because we've not the main function of a football club is something we've not been doing for a decade and a half and again, yeah. uh, something that fans of other clubs might say, and, and at first glance, it seems like a fair enough point, right? Yes, you could have, you can have the charts where we haven't invested uh, very much at all compared with other clubs, but there have been moments where we've we spent forty million pounds on a striker, you know, and 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 I remember that I've seen some Sunderland fans saying, you know, imagine things being so bad that you spent forty million pounds on a striker, and I, I understand what they're saying, but the fact that the club was basically not being ran by professionals yeah. meant that when they did decide to spend £40 million on a striker, it was Joe Linton. And the yeah, other the thing, club... I, the other point of that is that, yes, we might have um, randomly spent £40 million quid on a, on a striker, on that striker, but in the 14 years that he's been in control, I think we've we've spent about eight million quid on like investment in the the infrastructure of the club. I mean, that that's that's obscene. That that tiny amount of money. You're not talking about players. No, not talking about players. I'm talking yeah. about like I'm talking about getting rid of a dead pigeon in the the netting above the the Gallagher. I'm talking about um, having an inflatable the, the inflatable yeah. ice bath. Yeah, have, have all these things that we can laugh about between ourselves as a, as a sporting institution. It, it just chips away at it. Like, do do you like if you're up in the northeast, would you really want to take your kid to St James's Park to watch a team that has only ambitions of finishing seventeenth in a stadium that is becoming decrepit to watch players who've trained on a on a training ground that hasn't been updated since. Well, since Bobby Robson showed them off in 2007, two, no, 2006, yeah. 2005, 2006. So none of the club has been um, maintained, uh, not, not, to, uh, not to keep pace with the, those around us. It's, I think as well, if you're, a young, if you're a young footballer in the northeast, even though they're in the championship and League One, Middlesbrough and Sunderland are both better prospects for youth players in terms of facilities yeah. and probably career yeah. opportunities. There's just been and, no, no investment. And fans of other clubs might point to Mike Ashley's reign and say, well, he saved you from um, financial you know, peril because the, pre the owners previous to, to Mike Ashley were spending beyond their means and they were gambling on things like Champions League football to repay the, the debts or European football. But the fact is, we were getting European football 
and we were selling our, our players for, for big amounts of money. Mike Ashley's asset stripped to the point that we are, um, we're the only club in the Premier League with no transfer debt. We are a club that is run at a profit. So that they say they look at that and they say, well, you're a well-run club. And it's no, we're a well-run business. We're not a well-run club because we don't have, like like Paul was saying, we're not interested. We haven't been interested in the sporting side of the sporting institution that is Newcastle United. I think the main thing, for, that's definitely true, but I think, I think the main thing for me on that is, yes, it is very frustrating not to have investment because without investment, that isn't necessary, doesn't necessarily make good business sense. It's very difficult to have any kind of sporting ambitions in the Premier League. But it was just also that we were just being run, weren't being run by grown-ups. Yeah. 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 I mean, stupid little things like employing like um, people that he knew to um, positions of power. Casino managers. Yeah, fucking (laughs) casino managers. Or Dennis Wise as a director of football, given his zero experience in the role. And, I mean, how long did he last in that job? Like six Joe Kinnear twice as well. I think that is so mad you forget about it. And even some of the decisions that at the time we were we were kind of in favour of, you know, with our with our black and white uh, spectacles on, like bringing Kevin Keegan back. Look, if you want to run a club with a director of football, don't have a man like Kevin Keegan, a man who hadn't been in a job for seven years at the time. If you want to save the club from relegation, don't give the job to Alan Shearer, who's never had a managerial job before in his in his um, in his life. Give it to an experienced hand who can steer the club to safety. Steve Bruce. Fucking <laughs> Steve Bruce. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? It's just every every decision that they've made, there, there doesn't seem to appear to have been any consideration given to it. Like e- even when it's worked, like giving the job to Chris Hutton. Chris Hutton wasn't given the job because he was the best candidate out there possible. He was given the job because he was cheap and he was already at the club. Benitez wasn't given, didn't, you know, take that appointment because they went out and found him. He came and found them. Like Steve McLaren, sacked by Derby, I think, before he was given the job. Alan Pardew, sacked by Southampton. Steve Bruce. I mean, Jesus. There's there's just a litany of terrible decisions where it hasn't been made by grown-ups. And uh, a lot of, I mean, I don't want to get all like, on my high horse about it, but like disrespect towards the fans, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Disrespect towards the fans and club legends and any kind of history of the club as well. Yeah. Things like changing Shearer's bar to number <sighs> nine bar because they were pissed off. It's just really petty things. Like ha- it was run like ha- a having, dictatorship, ironically. Having Alan Shearer's statue built but only having it on Barrack Road instead of in the the like the, the grounds of the stadium. Like, pettiness like that is just like fucking grow up. And the way they treated Keegan, the way they treated Gutierrez, I mean, the way they treated Gutierrez yeah. was vile. Even the way they treated Ryan Taylor, just not letting him know that he wasn't going to be kept on. It's just all of that shit. It's just complete disrespect, like you're saying. Okay, so... um Shall we have a little break and then we'll talk about uh, 
our new owners. And yeah. uh, I'm sure we'll get into a deep and dark debate about that. We've all been through, some of us have been through a lot over that in the last few days. Some of us are just hungover. And um, <laughs> and then there'll be lots of uh, exciting things to hope, talk about, hopefully, if you are willing to participate in that excitement. Let's have a break. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Um, so, crazy few days. Crazy few days. A lot of jubilation in Newcastle City Centre. Cans. Cans were drank. Cans were opened. Did you see Jake Humphrey's tweet in which he opened a can? Of like zero sugar water or something. Like <laughs> Jake, Jake Humphrey just like trying to join in the Tube Relation. I don't think he is a Newcastle fan, right? But I, I know a monk. I think he's a Norwich fan, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. But I think amongst punditry, he's sort of been seen as an ally because he has, to be fair to him, been um, pretty reasonably critical of the Ashley era and like um, sort of like squashed some Rio Ferdinand nonsense, for example. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you know he sort of wanted to join in the celebrations and uh, and tweeted yes a little video of him opening a can of sparkling mineral water. Wow. <laughs> I might tweet um, a video out of me opening a can of tuna. <laughs> <laughs> Does that count? Cans. It doesn't matter. It's just cans. Um, it has been a weird sort of eighteen months. The build up to it with this this cans hashtag and also because of it going on for such a long time, it has meant that the moral questions, and there are many about being taken over by, uh, basically I know to all intents and purposes we're, I know we're told that it's, it's not the Saudi state, but it is, to all intents and purposes, the Saudi state, the head of the PIF is Mohammed bin, what is it? Salman. Salman, thank you. Is the head of Saudi Arabia. So, you know, anything that Saudi Arabia does, uh, the man who is ultimately responsible for that is also now the chief shareholder in Newcastle United. So that brings a lot of questions and the debate has been going on rumbling away for 18 months, which means a lot of us have been thinking about it. And a lot of us have been rehearsing the arguments in our heads. The, the defenses have come up. The attacks have come out. Um, I've had a difficult few days with it. Dave, where are you at? Well, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm as conflicted as you guys because I see a separation between Newcastle United and the Saudi state that owns Newcastle United. Um, like the thousands that went to the ground yesterday weren't celebrating the Saudis, they were celebrating a new dawn and arrival of new hope. Um, like enjoying the 90s wasn't an endorsement of Sir John Hall's Tory views or just as a protest against Mike Ashley wasn't a criticism of his working practices at Sports Direct. It was all about the club. So were football fans happy that our team will once again be competing against the best in the country? And for me, it's as simple as that. 
there's a separation like the look there is there is a there is a clear link between the Saudi state PIF and PIF on Newcastle United but there is not a clear link between Newcastle United the footballing sporting institution that we were talking about before the 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 break and the Saudi state they are with, not I think with PIF sorry, the thing that keeps coming out which is true is they own shares in Disney they own shares in Uber their politics do not trickle down into those companies their politics aren't going to trickle down into Newcastle no, but it's not whether being beheadings at half time probably not, not probably not that means that's, potentially three bills in the first home game it's the argument of sport washing and I think we've discussed sport washing before on here whether does it actually work I'm not sure it necessarily does I'm not sure it's no. really worked for Qatar with PSG. I don't think it's really worked with Man City either. I think it's it's right. This is where I'm at with it. It's I think it sort of goes beyond sport washing, right? So I've always understood sports washing to be the simple explanation of it is that evil regimes buy a football club and all the positive energy that comes from that means that people ignore or forget about the human rights abuses that they do. And like the words like human rights get thrown around just as like, it's a two word phrase to describe it, but like mm. to say what that is. Before that you is go like, on as well, can you think of a time in the last two years where Saudi human rights abuses have had more coverage. That's exactly what I was about. That's that's exactly what I was about to say, right? In the simplistic terms, right, sports washing is supposed to be covering it up. But it's it's obvious that it doesn't do that. It actually brings more coverage to it. I think what it does is it makes us, just as people... And I've got a bit more to say about this. In some way, complicit, right? I think that this is what I've been dealing with over the last few days. It's like, why do I feel differently about this, right? Yes, they own shares in Disney and Uber. I use those products. There is very little that I do in my life that is not in some way morally compromised. Well, you're an awful man. <laughs> you know, an awful human, I'm an awful human being. But there is very little that you can like purchase yeah. to give you enjoyment in which you are not in some somewhere down the line funding evil. That's just that's and like to avoid it as well. To avoid funding any of these things, you have to add an extra three hours onto your day and strip all enjoyment out of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Right, just to function. But then there are simple things that, like, I could. I mean, I'm not going to go into a debate about the environment or meat, but like, <laughs> I happen, like, I happen to think that probably in 30 years' time or 50 years' time, people will look back and say, "I cannot believe we ate meat for that long." Mm. I and I believe that to be true. I believe that history will frown on me. And yeah, you've got a bacon sandwich in your mouth now. Yes, I still eat meat, right? So I, like, I can... 
there is nothing in life that doesn't involve being conflicted. But there's well, I think there's a there's a baseline. None of us are morally pure or close to it. Yes, but, that... but it's all, so it's all about like degrees of separation. Like how many? If I like use some products, I feel like a long way away from the evil person. With Newcastle, the 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 evil person is is now basically at the top of our club structure now, right? Yeah, that again, like, I think on a simple just, level, just the, the owner of our for... football club is evil. There's no two ways about it. Right, but then the, when Mike Ashley owned the club, he, no, he's not a Bond villain, but he was a Dickensian <laughs> He would be the worst Bond villain ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, think... Welcome to my warehouse, Mr Bond. Sitting in a rotating... Look, Mike, in a rotating Mike Ashley stroking a Lonsdale sock. <laughs> it wouldn't Mike be a Ashley, rotating chair; it would just be a functional, like wooden chair. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't expecting you, Mister Bond. <laughs> Can you come back in an hour? Mike Ashley is awful, right? But there's yeah. like, there's a, there's a, and, and maybe he would be prepared to do the, all those things. But there is zero point in comparing the two. There's yeah. like no, there's. Let me just say this, right? There is zero point in like saying, "Well, Mike Ashley was evil," and I know you're not saying they're equals, but we are talking about. We have been. There are football clubs all over run by bad people. There are some football clubs run by people who literally order beheadings, who literally mm. chop up journalists, or or uh, order it, or uh, and who are literally ordering the bombing of, of Yemen and all of the stuff that's going on there, right? So there isn't, there's no comparison to be had. It is, basically, we are now owned by the, from a moral standpoint, if the fit and proper person thing took into account ethics, it's hard to think of a person in the world who would fail that test more but now a yeah. new owner, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, but, and, I, and I know, and I want to say, I know that I just, I just, I want to speak up for a minority, which is bigger than I thought it was. I've been contacted by fans on Twitter. I know that ex, uh, uh, Ben Vandervelt, who was many years ago for quite a long time was involved in this podcast. He doesn't feel he can support Newcastle United anymore. I know that Paul, Apparently, at one stage, you said you wouldn't maybe do this pod anymore. I know that I said Paul, Paul's had a rethink. <laughs> Come back. Yeah, I know, right? I I know that I definitely Paul thought would, he had been more wondering more whether fiber than he does. <laughs> I know that I've been wondering whether I would support this club anymore. The, 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 what it's boiled down for, to for me is, well, I I involve myself. Or I'm complicit in a lot of awful things just by being a human being. And if I don't continue to support them, I'm probably not even going to be able to get fucking tickets for matches now anyway. All I'm doing now is if I'm saying, well, in what will probably be the most successful period in the history of my football team that I have followed for 30 years. And I am the hours going... in during the shittest years. Yes. Well. I am going to deny myself happiness. 
and deny yourself happiness for for zero effect because your place in the in the the crowd will be snapped up by somebody who doesn't share your your um, moral conviction like yeah, hello right. you know it's what i mean cool. like it but it, it's, it's it's like bad, the effect that the the effect that the minority staying away or not contributing to a podcast poll or whatever it will be replaced so although your concerns have merit and they are justified and i'm not taking them away the the net effect is is zero so why deny yourself the pleasure of of supporting the club the football club that you supported your entire life and have been there through like 14 years of shit to to make to, to take a moral stand that will have no effect i think on and that I, point I, I think the reason for making a moral stand that will have no effect is to have a moral stand regardless of the outcome it's to sort of set a line for your own personal ethics but i think the problem is that you can't be a modern football fan without having these kind of mental gymnastic exercises every now and then and it seems like all the blame for this is being put purely all the decision making of like how are you going to make a moral stand about this is just being put on to Newcastle fans nobody's questioning the players saying how can you continue to play for a regime like this nobody's questioning the coaches nobody's questioning any of the sponsors None of the fans of other Premier League teams are saying, how can we be complicit in a league that would allow this? I think we're all, in a way, victims of the Premier League owners and directors test, which isn't fit for purpose. But we're mm. victims twice. We're, we should not have had as rudderless and unsporting a regime as Ashley for so long. Yeah. And now we're rid of that. We've waved in morally reprehensible owners. But we're at this. Mm. We're now at the centre of and the apex of the new, the, the current era in football. This is where it's going. Where Qatar own PSG, Abu Dhabi own Man City. The big, you know, Chelsea is owned by a Russian murderer. The the big football teams that are competing, you know. Supporting a football team that is going to compete at the top, and we're, we're not yet there yet, there yet, and we'll talk about that, it comes with these moral things. But we're now, we're, through no choice, of, we are right there at, in the middle of it. And it's, yeah. it's, and it's, it's less a choice about whether you want to continue supporting Newcastle. What I was thinking about in the last few days is like, do I want to continue sort of following the Premier League, following top football? Should I start going to lower league football mm. instead? Am I going to continue my Sky Sports subscription? I think in terms of something to read, which I found really good for summing up, like, a lot of the arguments on it is, do you know Ask Blog? Is that a mm. small blog? It was a really good piece by him or them on this whole issue. And right. sort of saying, like, you can't be an Arsenal fan and criticise Newcastle fans at the moment because all the Rwanda business they have and the Emirates Airlines. And it. I think you're right. I think it comes down to whether you can continue to endorse Premier League football, which is, it's never been more brazenly about the money and nothing to do with morality. The fact that as soon as the TV piracy issues were gone, we were taken <laughs> over and they tried to which... deny it. It was as bald as you can get in terms of, it's yeah. so clearly just about that. 
Yeah, we, I mean, we are just that, replacing that, things that, of nation states now. Yeah, but then we were replacing of a of a retail billionaire previously, and prior to that, we were the the plating of a retail. It's just uh, not comparable. No, 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 no. But no, I'm not saying that um, they're as evil as each other, or even in the same ballpark. I'm just saying that the, the days of 11 local lads finding something to do in the winter when the cricket wasn't on, that's gone. The, I think it's well, I think changed that, that was gone about 100 years ago. <laughs> but I think but what this, you're saying as well point. is like fandom and supporting any, especially Premier League football club now, is so far removed from who owns it. And you, yeah. the problem is we're powerless in terms of having any say in what happens in the ownership. So why is the onus on us? to make the moral choice? Why do the league get away with waving these people in? One thing, that occurred, that, to, one thing that occurred to me is that I might find myself in a situation that I hadn't anticipated in that, like, I'm not going to find it difficult to persuade my son to support Newcastle. Mm. And, and I might even, I was like, if I continue with this, like, moral quandary that I'm in, Am I going to find myself in a position where I'm trying to persuade him not to support Newcastle? I feel, I feel like I don't think I'm I'm there. I think I've I've ended up like basically wh- where I'm at with it is yes, I'm going to continue to watch it and enjoy it, but I'm just probably going to have a bit less enjoyment than I would otherwise had, and there's and there's always going to be an asterisk on it for me. I and, think what tainted it is seeing all the fans celebrating yesterday, I didn't have that same feeling. That yeah, kind of tainted I, it. I actually found I think, it quite depressing the last few days. It was, it was I, more, I was, it was more like, am I, where a lot of people were like, am I going to say goodbye to Newcastle and football during the Mike Ashley era? Like the last few days is the closest I've got to saying that. Like, oh, am I sort of done with it? What cheered me up a bit this morning was running into I was working with somebody who was a Chelsea fan and he was asking if I was excited and I was sort of saying quite conflicted about the whole thing because of the board. And he was like, yeah, don't worry, that goes. <laughs> that goes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was like, and I was like, as much as I like to have the moral quandary and think of myself as a, a morally good person, I guarantee he's right. As soon as you have... He said, actually, as soon as you start signing players that you like and that are exciting to watch, that completely disappears. And I know it's like the new prostitute in the brothel. It's like, (laughs) it's like, I feel bad about it. Don't worry. It goes, it goes over time. It is pathetic, but I know I would like to be a more morally upstanding person, but I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I don't have the conviction. And I've put a lot of years into following Newcastle when they were absolute dog shit. I mean, for me, I, I watched Newcastle United play football. I, I, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. I'm not thinking about what's going on four thousand miles away, and nor should I. It's there's a there's a in my head, and it might only exist in my head, but there is a separation and a sufficient and distinct enough separation be, between Newcastle United, the football sporting institution that exists that won't suffer from the trickle down policies because it can't from the the awful owners and the Saudi state and what terrible atrocities they commit. So if somebody were to say, how can you support them? The Saudis are awful. Yes, the Saudis are awful. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I'm a Newcastle United fan. I'm not a Saudi fan. 
I'm not going to be wearing a, a Saudi flag. I'm not going to be defending any of their policies, internal or external. I'm not going to be saying that they're not sports washing because they fucking are. I'm not going to be, but I can still enjoy watching a good manager get good players to play good football that might lead to good times and maybe, maybe a fucking trophy. That's what I can just enjoy. And no, I, 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 like, I've got no judgment on that. And I'm probably, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on my way there as well. I don't, what I will say is like, everyone can draw their lines wherever they want. And I completely respect and almost yeah. those people who on both sides of it, those people who are just like, fuck that, don't even want to think about it. I'm just happy. And I completely respect those people who are like, no, I have to walk away where I do draw the line. And I, I mean, what I do find really distasteful is people waving the Saudi flag. Yeah. People, yeah. That's or, people, or people making arguments like, don't be so defensive. If, if if you have to make an argument that in some way minimizes or um, excuses anything that Saudi does, then mm. I've got no respect for that. I think as well, I think when fans of other clubs are criticizing this takeover, it's not coming from a position of disliking Newcastle. It's the opposite. It's because they value our club for what it once was. I think they're doing that because they think it's sad to see us reduced to this. I kind of agree with them. But I think my, I, my way I is... Just, I have to come in very quickly there. I think the majority of fans who are criticising Newcastle United fans for allowing this takeover, like we have a fucking say, that is pure, unadulterated fan tribalism. It's us I don't think it is. I don't think it is from Sunderland fans. I think from Sunderland. No, I I think it's it's the same from from like Spurs fans, Arsenal fans, any fans who think that the new Newcastle United are going to do well. It is born out of that. If you get like this is what I don't like. If you get a late, I don't like the backs against the wall. People are jealous of it. It's not that we have been taken over by really morally questionable people. A lot of people have an issue with that. But the, these people who who suddenly care about the Saudi um, human rights issues that are undeniable, three year three years ago they didn't give a shit. I I tell you that now. Well, they three don't years give a ago shit. we and, wouldn't and, have heard their views on the Saudi regime because we weren't. And also maybe it. that's a good thing because three years ago they didn't know about it and now they do. Yeah. I, d- I think that fine, but I think you can leave it for a second. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think you can. I think you can definitely put a large portion of the the outrage on on Twitter as unadulterated tribalism, fan tribalism. I think that's my. Can I tell you my way of trying to deal with like the moral maze of what's going on? Is sort of what I feel I can do individually to not make it completely awful. Is not start getting behind PIF or justifying anything the Saudis do. I already saw a Newcastle account I have quite a lot of respect for tweeting journalists saying, well, how do you explain, what do you think of PIF's funding of certain NHS areas? You're like, don't start trying to justify PIF. Don't get involved in any of that. Don't start doing this. Don't let sports washing work on you. Don't change your views on them. And, keep reading up on what the Saudis are doing, keep being vocal on it, keep shining a light on it. 
Oh, yes, yeah, okay, fine. There may be some jealous football fans out there, right? But people like the people like Miguel Delaney. Yeah, no, no, like, no, fine. I'm not saying this is you, Dave. I'm just saying. No, no, no. Yeah. They're, beca- they're becoming like a villain who people yeah. are really going at for having a moral stance. Now, you can choose not to have that moral stance, but like don't have a go at someone for making a fucking legitimate point. Or don't have a go at the widow of a murdered journalist for having an ulterior motive in criticising Newcastle United football Because she just hates Newcastle United because she's worried that they're going to compete. I mean, and also this this sense that I'm fans of all football clubs, or particularly a lot of football clubs, have this, I don't, don't know what kind of complex it is, but this idea that, like, everyone hates them. It's because it's Newcastle. Oh, where it was Man City, it was fine. Where it was Chelsea, but because it's Newcastle, no, I think just over the years the debate has grown and grown and grown, and now it's the biggest case of it we've ever had. Like, but there's, it's, I've seen Leeds fans do this all the time, and just go like, I've watched this documentary about Leeds, and all the fans are like, just assume that the whole world is against Leeds. No one gives a shit, right? And I don't think the whole world is against Newcastle. Yes, they'll make jokes about us as like. Cartoon murderers, horse punches, horse punches, mm. or whatever, or you know the the bellies out and all that. But like, it's it's not some just because people have got like, there's no agenda from yeah. the footballing world against us. And the other thing to say is, if this takeover happened to any other club, their fans would behave probably exactly as we have, and we would be more critical of them, and we would be saying, well. If that's what you have to do to become a successful football club, that's depressing and maybe I would walk away. We would probably be more... We'd have more conviction about that if it wasn't happening to us. But I think the sad sad thing to come out of this is it's within our lifetime that we were everyone's pretty much favourite second club. And those days are gone now. I think we we were underdogs for a long time. I think Ashley has killed a lot of that anyway. But we were a club to be proud of in the way we went about things. I don't think we are now. And yeah, I heard someone saying, I think, I think I heard the athletic saying who to be, to be fair, did talk about some of this stuff. I think it was the athletic. I heard them saying like that. Um, Mike Ashley has tarnished the reputation of this football club, but that, you know, the, that's over now. I, I think in the eyes of a lot of the world, <laughs> In most of the football world, it's like the tarnishing of the reputation of the football club began this week. Yeah, I think we should also acknowledge we are in a minority, both of Newcastle fans and probably football fans as well. I think a lot of fans of other clubs will think, I wish that had happened to us. I think there'll be some who will be pleased for us. I don't think most football-going fans give it too much of a thought because that... It's the way the game has gradually gone. I think if this takeover had happened in like 1995, it would be a scandal. But the fact it's happened now, it's just another logical step in the way the Premier League's going. It's not our fault it's so badly regulated and we shouldn't be the moral arbiters of that. So in conclusion... (laughs) We've come up with a way that lets us carry on watching Newcastle without any repercussions. Exactly. We're all terribly (laughs) conflicted and we've rehearsed all the debates, but can you get me a ticket? Conflicted has become the new thoughts and prayers. It is meaningless, but you have to say it now if you're a slightly liberal Newcastle fan. 
You just have to start every sentence with "I'm conflicted." Yeah, conflicted is the buzzword because conflicted is not against it. Doesn't mean you're walking away. Conflicted means I'm going to go along and cheer, but deep down, I'm a little bit sad. (laughs) But I think as well, I think Dave was saying earlier, and it is true. As fans, you do separate the sporting endeavours of a club and the ownership. Like no fans don't care unless it's going particularly badly about who runs their club and when you're watching a game of football like I know if I watch a Newcastle game even when we're run by Ashley and now we're run by these people as soon as we're like (laughs) as soon as we're playing I'm going to be cheering for them in a way that I can't transfer to another club yeah and it is it's it's a semi-religious experience I was thinking about it this week it's almost like when the Catholic Church was exposed as having (laughs) so many pedophiles not everyone left because they still felt a strong bond to the central tenets of that faith <laughs> that paedophilia couldn't rot. And that's sort of how I feel about Newcastle. Fucking oh, yeah. chef's kiss for that analogy. Chef's mm. kiss. Beautiful. Fair enough. And it just so happens that our Pope is the biggest paedophile of all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we talk about uh, fun things now. Yes, so... Should we have a uh, quick break? And then yes, we'll our Zoom meeting is coming to the end. I don't know what products we'll be selling. By the way, if PIF want to advertise <laughs> any of their stuff uh, on our show, they're very welcome to. Um, but no, what we're going to do is we'll have a quick break and then we will talk about fun things and all of that. And this, yes, this is a super bumper long Newcastle now, which we have been told not to do, but here we are doing it. Welcome back. So uh, now let's have a chat about what the future might hold in footballing terms, which uh, everything else aside could well be very exciting. Is it, It's possible now that in my lifetime, Newcastle United might win a trophy. I mean, that is possible. Amanda Staveley supposedly said that we're, we're aiming to win the Premier League in the next five to ten years, although apparently when she spoke to George Colkin and he said that that was the headline, she was like, oh, did I say that? Well, <laughs> she's, the, the, the quote in the, the piece which leads with Staveley thinks they'll win the title within five to ten is actually she thinks Newcastle should be at the top of the Premier League. I don't think she meant... At its summit, just in the right, right. in that in that pack. Just to say a couple of things about Amanda Staveley, I've never really looked at her properly. Now that like we're seeing interviews with her and stuff, I I contend that she is the human being on earth who looks the most like a lion. <laughs> one specific lion, the That's lion. Like, right? No, no, the one from. Um, uh, oh, what is it? The Wizard of Oz. That's the one she right, looks like, yeah, the, the original maybe. one. It is unbelievable how much she looks like a lion. If she ever does, <laughs> if she ever does, what's it called? Like um, the one where you get a DNA test done. <laughs> She's going to come up like 4% lion. She's going to be no, confused in the lab. Like, someone's, someone's put their lion through a DNA test. And for also, for any conspiracy theorists out there who are worried that, like, instead of being run by, uh, you know, 
dodgy tyrants or whatever were being run by lizards uh, or whatever. Did you have you seen her thumb? <laughs> have you seen Amanda Stavely's thumb? <laughs> the lions even have thumbs. Right, yeah, forget the lion thing. Forget what I said about lizards as well. I will send you a picture of Amanda Stavely's thumb. There is a, and I'm not the only one to have noticed this. Are you right? clickbait? No, right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're there's you a video. Not believe a, this photo of Amanda Stavely's lion thumb. I'm not, I'm not even joking, right? Wait, I was there's a there was a short video of her outside St. James's Park. Saying hi to the fans. Hailing a taxi with her thumbs. Saying hi to the fans and waving and stuff. And she gave a thumbs up, right? And I did a little double take and went, that's a weird looking thumb. And then I looked at the comments and everyone is like, I was just checking to see if anyone else was talking about the thumb. And then there's like loads of people put up like freeze frames. What was weird about it? What the fuck is this? Does it look like a lion bar? It's forget lion, forget lion. It's I just think as like, well, we just have to say, no other Newcastle podcast is going to be covering this. This is what you get from us. This is what you get. It's, it's, just, a big a really, it's just a really, really odd shaped thumb, and I'm just going to be interested to see how that plays out over the next few years. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so, right, number one question. This is from me. It's, it's the end of Steve Bruce, right? Will Steve Bruce be in charge in the Spurs game? No. I think there's more chance no. of Graham Jones being our manager for the Spurs game. <clears> should, should, Bruce. Yeah. should Steve Bruce, should we give Steve Bruce a couple of years, give him a chance, see no. what he can do, no. see what he can do, do with 500 million? Do you know what's interesting? The Spurs game would, his, would be his 1,000th game as a manager. <laughs> and, and to stop him on 999? I, I kind of like that. He'll get another job. This is a thing, but he won't get another. No other Premier League team apart from us would have hired him, and no, no. Premier League team would hire him after seeing what he did with us. Yeah, which I think says a lot about our previous regime. Like, so on a human level, I feel bad for a Newcastle fan who's in the position to manage the club to have never been taken on. You know never been taken in by the fans and to have on paper achieved his remit and better than his remit you know he's finished uh, 12th and 13th and stuff so it's it's a shame for him that it hasn't worked out but it fundamentally hasn't worked out yeah and he's gonna get he's gonna get eight million pounds as a payoff so yeah that 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 like that'll soften diminishes That is incredible. Well, look, we've we've had so many conversations about Steve Bruce, and uh, I, I'd like to think this may well be the last. So, um, I thought you liked him, Fergus. <laughs> as a defender, because you know, yeah. So, do you? Uh, who, who do you think will be the next manager? Who would you like to see as the next manager? I think, or? in terms of taking the club forward, it's a shame Benitez has gone to Everton. Because I think he would have not spunked a load of money. We wouldn't have done the Man City signing Rubinho type thing. It would have been a, a steady progression of what the club needs. I think Benitez and, and is probably the... impossible now. Now he's at Everton. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's only been in the job for a few months. He's doing yeah. a good job there. The fans seem to have taken to him, which was hard. You know, it was, yeah. it was a really difficult task. And the, the irony is like 18 months ago when this first came about, we available in the pool of available managers. You had Rafa Benitez, Mauricio Pochettino, and now you've got, I mean, there's still some excellent managers out there that Conte. are available, like... Conte is the one that everybody's talking about, but I, I don't know if he would, much like uh, in the same way as Pochettino then, would mm. Conte come to a club that isn't going to be in the Champions League within the next, what, I don't three, think he'd be five, a, ten years? I can't see him being after a project. The one that keeps getting mentioned is, well, two that keep getting mentioned, which I think are exciting for different reasons, I don't know how you two think, is Brendan Rodgers and Steven Gerrard. Who are both with other clubs, but not beyond the realms of possibility. Yeah, those are the ones I'm hearing, and also Eddie Howe, just because he's available. Yeah, I, I, yeah, um, I, I can't imagine that the, the PIF-led consortium would give it to Eddie Howe, but I could see Stephen Gerrard because he's a big name. He's done quite well in his managerial career at Rangers. Um, and all the prestige that comes with hiring that, that name. Brendan Rodgers, because he's done quite well at Leicester, um, but no, not Eddie Howe. Can't I see Gerard feels more of a risk in a way, because you're sort of taking a manager who's only managed in the SPL and saying, because essentially we're in a relegation battle still, and our squad is a relegation battle squad. It, in a lot of ways, it would be hilarious if we got relegated this season. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm seeing from a lot of fans... I, I, I can see the argument for Stephen Gerrard. It's he's kind of an unknown quantity, but a, a lot of fans don't seem that keen on it because he's so fresh. And I also think, no matter how big we are, for him, we're a stepping stone to what he eventually wants to do, which is manage Liverpool. And he, yeah. he's so yeah. associated with another club that it, it's. Uh, it's a bit weird but you know I, I don't mind Stephen Gerrard and, and yeah he does seem to have gone done well at Rangers and Rangers fans seem to love him and all that but Brendan Rodgers is a it's still does a Britain, great job at Leicester and, does Brendan Rodgers have the whiff of the Man City Mark Hughes appointment I don't think I think Brendan Rodgers is a massively underrated manager if you think how well he did with Liverpool and it only went wrong because they sold Suarez and replaced him with Balotelli, who he didn't really want. And then the job he's done at Leicester, I mean, it's starting to fall apart a little bit now. But I think... Yeah, but a lot of that is their money. Yeah, but I think if you want to bring in someone who's semi-guaranteed to do well in the Premier League, just to even get you through three seasons of growth, I think he's as textbook as you could get, really. Yeah, I think he's good. He was also Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes wasn't the Man City. He was already Man City manager when they got taken over. No, but I just meant that he 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 was there when when they were taken over. But he was like um, he wasted a lot of money on 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 players that didn't fit because he suddenly had all this cash and didn't know what to do with. I just well, my thing was like I'm, apparently I was watching an interview with him today. I don't I don't think he had much say in those players. He was just okay. like, they were just like, right, we're buying Rubino today. You know, just like. Yeah. So that raises Which it doesn't an interesting sound question. Like, sorry, Dave. 
I was just going to say that because the, the, the quotes that I've seen is like, oh, it's going to be a gradual increase in, in the, the quality of the talent that we've got, but also we'd like to make like big signings. Um, the name I've heard is like Coutinho. Yeah. And that's been pushed around a lot. And do you see the value in making like a, a statement signing to say we are now we are now pushing to become the elite. We are now like a serious contender that big players can come to where you need someone who's maybe on the fringes of an elite club who's not getting game time to almost like drop down a level to to play for a club that's nowhere near the Champions League to like drag you up. Yeah, I I see it as... It would be nice to see someone like Coutinho or something, something which sort of said to the fans and said to everyone, made a statement, yes. But like, it is a, it's everything they're saying, it is a long term tro- project and I hope it is treated as such. Yeah. And I hope, I would like us, I would rather than us getting like, I, I no one's saying Mourinho, but rather than us getting someone like Mourinho or Conte or whatever, us getting whoever the, Whoever the best up-and-coming manager around is who would take it, I would like to see that. And I would like to see us competing for... Like, you know when Keegan said, when he managed a second time around, that he wanted to buy Modric, but they didn't want to buy Modric? Yeah. This time, I want us to buy Modric. Do you yeah. know? I want us to buy whoever those up-and-coming players are who aren't necessarily... We're not going to buy Erling Haaland. But we might buy whoever is the up and coming player that isn't already at. at Who hasn't yet up and come? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think manager wise, there's an argument for Amanda Staveley going over to Germany with a big net held in her (laughs) weird weird thumbs and just getting the next progressive manager, or even someone like Ralph Hasenhutl, who's not done amazingly at Southampton but hasn't had a lot to work with where you think, mm. give them proper funding and really good players, and they well, could <coughs> quite an impact. really rated Arsenal. But I think player-wise, the most important thing is getting a spine to our team of experienced Premier League players, and that's what they seem to be talking about. They seem and to be the, aiming the, the for, for Premier League players whose contracts are expiring, so it's not, it's not Galacticos. Yeah, the number one goal, let's not forget, the number one goal right now is to survive. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not That's beyond the realms of possible. They could fuck this up. Mm. They could fuck this up. We could go down. But how good would the it championship be next season? <laughs> be What's interesting for me is that um, because, ironically, because of how tight Ashley was, we could spend £190 million on players in the January window and not yeah. fall foul of FFP. So we could we could conceivably go out and, sp- and sign for 40 to 50 million pound players. Yeah. I don't or think we should. I think four we should and a sign half Joe Linton's. <laughs> yeah. I think we should go off and sign seven or eight 20 to 25 million pound players and sack off yeah, Jeff Hendrick, Mark Gillespie, John Joe Shelby, players like that. Yeah. I don't oh, know how much just, turnover you can have immediately. Whatever happens, there's going to be a hilarious period in our history where, like, Coutinho is sat next to Jeff Hendrick in a dressing room yeah. or whatever <laughs> permutation it is. We're going to have some top footballers sat next to a 32-year-old Dwight Gale. Yeah. It, 
Emil Kraft <laughs> hanging out of uh, <laughs> any, any footballer. I think there's going to be. I would like to see some some really good books written, like autobiographies by players from the dressing room. But I think as well, this, this period. there's probably never been a better period to be a club trying to go, trying to grow that has money. If you look at the Italian clubs and Real and Barcelona, in terms of they are all looking to sell. None of them have resources and need money. Well, well we're, even, we're even the domestic everyone's, everyone's going to put the price up on their players, though. But that, that's fine because yeah. we can pay the five, ten million pound surcharge for being the richest club on the planet. Mm. Um, we can afford that within FFP. And, and the way that they're talking is about, like, I've heard things about um, like Henderson from Man U because he's not going to be the number one keeper at Man U because David De has won that battle. So go off and sign him. And we could pick him up for a reasonable amount, like Jesse Lingard. We could go off and sign him. And can I just say how the... how mad it feels having these conversations after fourteen yeah. years of Ashley? We could be it's... very embarrassed very quickly of how. No, nah, we're not even being that ambitious. We're talking about like Manu's reserve keeper and other players like yeah. that. But we've been that yeah. starved of it that this feels like we've reached for the sky. Yeah. We could sign like players from. Arsenal like Lacazette or Bamayang, we could sign the young players from, from other clubs in the Premier League that are doing quite well, like um, Eze from Crystal Palace or Saar not necessarily Watford. him. Yeah, Malang Saar from Watford. All of these like players that under Ashley, A, wouldn't be interested in signing for us, B, we couldn't afford. These Those two things don't matter anymore. So, yeah, we could Honestly, this window is going to be interesting, but it's not this window. It's like the next window and the window after that. Yeah. You're going to see, you know, things like, I don't know, Sandro Tonali or Leon Goretzka or, you know, those are the kind of players that we should be targeting young. Just, I, all I keep on hearing is this conversation being recorded and played <laughs> in like Sunderland forums for years to come. I don't mind because at least we've got something interesting to talk about. We're not just spending an hour talking about how shit and aimless the club is, which, let's be honest, felt like we were reaching saturation point of that conversation. I mean, this is the first time we've not had a circular argument about Steve Bruce in about eight months. (laughs) We've had a barely mentioned James Jones. So we've had an, an, an interesting conversation about the moral quandary of whether we can continue supporting our football club and now we're like we might sign Dean Henderson but um that's the madness of where we're at um I'm gonna have a little look at Twitter Thomas Burkan he, he's pointed this out to me a couple of times so I might as well mention it he was one of the few people who probably bothered to listen to our last Newcastle matter which was just myself and Paul Doolan which we did in the afternoon. I think I hadn't slept the night before. We were very depressed and down. We were just recording it just for the opportunity to talk to another human being. I think I forgot that it, we would ever broadcast it. And he, Thomas Burkhan says, a big thank you to Fergus Craig for yawning on the last podcast. It was the funniest thing I've heard in years. <laughs> just, thank you, Thomas. openly yawned. Uh, I think that's quite that's sort of quite representative of where we felt we were as a club and a lot of the fan base seemed to feel after the Wolves game 
Whereas only <laughs> retrospectively, you think we were really, really rock bottom. Yeah. Bedford Mag says, I should probably start contributing again, to be fair. Still smarting after Fergus told me to fuck off. I have no memory of that Bedford Mag. I apologise. It's the new era. We miss you. We, we, we do. Please come back. It's all is forgiven. And, and, I'm, and I'm sorry. Um, tired Arsenal fan uh, says, should Willock be playing deeper? It's an Arsenal fan who follows us. He's asking, should Willock be playing deeper? I think Willock is one of those players that you would expect to still be involved in the first team for uh, a little while to come, certainly this season. Well, that's an interesting question to you, boys. Who who do you see being the, the few that will still be around like in a year's time? Wilson, St. Maximin, Almiron, Jeff Hendrick, Emil <laughs> I think there'll be a few more scraps than that, but yeah. just because of the way it is, because no one wants yeah. to buy them. And, but, but, um, but I think we can afford to think no one will want to buy a lot of our players. But I think you can just offload them when you. Yeah, I think that, that one of the reasons why we kept giving like players really long contracts is so that they, uh, if they were to leave, they would be for some money. Whereas now. We could quite comfortably say to Dwight Gale, "Look, we'll pay off the rest of your contract and and see you later," or just take a massive hit and sell them for four million to Championship club so we can, you know, offload a lot of them. I honestly think Sean Longstaff will still be at the club. I hope so. I think I think Santiago Santiago Munoz will be thanking his lucky stars that he is now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing. Um, will he ever? Will he ever play a game for us? question um, I think players like Alex Twanzabe who turned down the chance to come on loan last mm. year might be slightly kicking themselves but uh, Alan St. Maximan I mean he does get injured a lot but until recently uh, I think a lot of us feared that it was it was only a time before he yeah. was gone now you look and say that he's someone we can sort of I don't know, we build the team around him. We still need, I think we do need a spine. We need, we need a, 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 a we need a, the first thing we need is a decent central defender, a decent midfielder and a decent striker who's not always injured. And a right back. And a left back. Kraft will do. <laughs> I think the first thing we need is a really good manager because I think yeah. a, a really good manager can get that back line playing well enough to keep us in the Premier League. Yeah. See. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who will stick around? Certainly, hopefully, St. Maximin. Who, I, I think I, I haven't actually said this. He, he really reminds me of Andy Murray. St. <laughs> Maximin. And in one sense, and that <laughs> is... <laughs> for, the, for the fans at home, my face sounds like, huh? Yeah. I could, I'll tell you why St. Maxman reminds me of Andy Murray because I haven't watched Andy Murray play for many years whether he's injured or not he always hobbles around like he's injured and grimaces and you think oh he's in trouble St. Maxman is always just like anytime that there's a stoppage in play he looks like he's really injured he's but just a big time, faker it's not even faking it. It's just sort of like, because Andy Murray's not 
faking. He's not feigning injury. It's just, it's just, it's just a hobbler. I think what is exciting is we don't have to wait until January to bring in a good manager. And I'm quite excited as to what a good manager can get out of Wilson, Fraser, Almiron, St. Maximum as a front four. And Joe Linton. Yeah, that's he's going to be gone. <laughs> Let's be honest. No one's going to go, oh, well, he seems to play better out on the left, but he offers no threat going forward and doesn't really do anything. So Rob Farkerson says, all right, good to have a natter to liven up an otherwise dull week, given that half the media will expect us to get to February with Neymar, Billy the Fish and Maradona's ghost in the squad. <laughs> which, which big January signings are in the Venn diagram of most likely and worst idea? We've sort of covered, covered that. But Coutinho more. is the, like, in terms of any Galactico we might get, I think is the only one. And it's, it's low-level Galactico, and I don't think it would be necessarily a good idea. I, I think, think Gareth Bale is the um, worst idea. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> no, worst idea. But there, there's others. There's like Samuel TT at um, TT at, um, at Barcelona, Usman de, Dembele. They've all got injury problems, yeah. and they're all out of favour at Barcelona. And we could all we could pick them all up. Like literally, we could we could afford to get them all if we wanted to. Um, and I don't think it's a good idea. I think the tried and tested, experienced Premier League. Yeah, that's the way to go. Get some James Milner's in that type oh. of player. Yes. Johnny Evans. Ooh. Okay, well, let's see. Um, I think we should sort of uh, wrap up, really. I think I'm looking through the questions on Twitter and we have basically answered them all, but thank you for getting in touch. I, I, I want to say, like, just, you know, however you feel about it, you know, congratulations or commiserations or whatever. There is a lot. You know, I don't want to end on just like um, we've had that long, torturous conversation. But yippee! I mean, there is yeah. it is uh, that you know, there's a lot to be said on both sides, and it's going to be an interesting time. But um, I don't want to like. I also don't want to like talk about Middle Eastern geopolitics every week. So uh, can can we make a deal? Yeah, can we can we not talk about it again? Well, I'm not going to say no. Never. <laughs> I'm not going to say never because that's a way of saying, "Oh well, I felt a little bit sad about it, but now, yay for the next ten years." Yeah. And like, let's not be shit. let's not be sports washed. I but think, I'm also, but I also promise that I'm not going to be like every week. Well, that was a terrific goal, but. Mm, Yemen. Well, what a yeah. like, what a great new signing! But ooh, well, the keeper saved know. it because he had hands, but he wouldn't have had if he'd been living in the kingdom <laughs> of Saudi Arabia because he was gay. Mm. That kind of thing. Yes. Um, Announce Mbappe and equal rights for women. Easy. Yeah. But I think as well, we're all we seem to all broadly have the feeling of like, it's a little unfair that it falls upon Newcastle fans to be the only moral arbiters of modern football. But it's, yeah, we just happen to, it's happened to us at this point in history. You know, yeah, it is what it is, but you know, there's no it's point there's... having a pity party about it and be like, Oh, poor us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, just, just wipe my tears with the 50 pound notes. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not our money, though, is it? 
Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Just, you know, what should we end, end on a high note. Please oh. end on a high note. We just, we, we are now going to see exciting football, hopefully. I hopefully. think as well, more than that, we now have interesting things to talk about, yes. which we have not had for a long time. Yes. And the high note that we will end on is that we will, for the first time in quite a long time, have some new things to talk about. So uh, let's enjoy that. And um, yeah, enjoy, you know, yeah. All right. That's Linda there. Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you. And thank you to you, the Newcastle Natta listener. Thank you. Goodbye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.